I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock, and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. I've never claimed to be good at Spanish pronunciation. This next story, Othebredo, is my feeble attempt to correctly pronounce the name of the town as well as the title of the story. In the story, I have completely butchered the pronunciation. I apologize, but maybe it will give you a good laugh. And now, Othebredo. Oh, baby, there's a lot of anticipation in my heart along this pilgrimage, and perhaps more than ever on this day of arriving in Othebaria. For me, there were five heavily anticipated days of walking the Camino de Santiago. One, the start in St. Jean Pied-de-Port and the walk through the Pyrenees to Roncesvalles. Two, the finish, the day you arrive at the Compostela de Santiago. Three, the cherry on top in Finisterre and Muxia. Four, the coming to the cross. Five, the summiting of Othebario. Othebario is a tiny town that sits upon the summit of a 4,200-foot mountain. This mountain range is the first real geographical obstacle that the elements rolling off the Atlantic collide with. There are views off to the east and west from this old stone town, and the ambiance is often fog-sodden and always mysterious. Iglesia de Santa Maria Real, built in the 800s, sits here amidst remnants of an old monastery and has a reputation of being the oldest extant church directly associated with the Pilgrim Way. A miracle, the Santo Milagro, is said to have happened here during Mass one winter evening. It is said that the elements of the bread and the wine turned into the actual body and blood of Jesus. Mass is, after all, only bread and wine until Jesus comes to bear on it. But why did Jesus show up that night? The story is that the peasant showed up late to Mass as he had suffered through a blizzard on his way there. The priest served the elements to the peasant, but curtly and arrogantly frustrated that he had been inconvenienced. It is thought that Jesus came this night to remind the haughty priest that the peasant he was serving, who had sacrificed much more than his convenience to get there, was his brother. Not just the priest's brother, but Jesus' brother. And now, here I come, surely identifying with that noble peasant who has braved the elements in order to receive the elements. Maybe there is a miracle in store for me. After all, if it had happened once, it could happen again. Add to that lore the writings of author Paul Coachello in The Pilgrimage. The story is around this guy who is part of a secret organization and has been told by his mentor that it is time for him to go find his sword. I personally think that would be pretty cool to be part of a secret organization, but more so to have a sword to find. In the story, I remember the part about the guy coming to the church of Othebario. It was foggy and all mysterious, and actually, I don't even remember if the dude actually found his sword there. What I do remember is that he learned the secret. 
the prerequisite of being given his sword. What is it? The secret to finding one's sword is discovering one's purpose and therefore what one would use one's sword for. The key is instead of asking where, ask why. I can't remember what the character's answer was. What stuck with me was the order of the whole sword process. He thought he needed to find his sword and then he would know how to use it. Instead, he needed to know how he would use his sword and then, and only then, would he find it. Even so, I must confess, the thing I'm honestly thinking about is how cool it would be to find my sword. Back to the journey where you walk in a path that millions of people have trod before you for over 1,200 years and that climbs up to the summit of this mysterious mountain where sits a stone church that has a history of miracles. My heart skipped a beat wondering what lay in store for me up there. I knew the walk up this mountain would be challenging. Some say this is the hardest day of the Jacobian route of the Camino de Santiago and Difficult it was in the hot sun and with the elevation gain. As I toiled up and up, muscles burning and sweat pouring, I found motivation and a growing thought. It felt like I was earning something, like at the end of this day, I deserve to be called a true pilgrim, serious about my life and my faith and having these deeds to show for it. My thoughts continue unimpeded for a while as I walk alone for most of the day. But some companions appear here and there. A lady I had met a few days earlier was resting in the shade of one of the few trees dotting the path up to Othaberia. We walked and talked about the laying down of past burdens. Sometimes I think we get confused on this whole topic of burdens. The goal is not to become burdenless, but to, at any given moment, carry only the burdens that are ours to truly carry. And it is only in the laying down of the past ones that we have the strength to pick up the new ones. Ah, the immense wisdom that we pilgrims gain along this way of walking. I really should write a book. Other companions, while maybe not as good at conversation, were nevertheless very entertaining and extremely motivating. I'll paint the picture. Along the walk, I noticed small pastures where cows or sheep grazed. What I did not realize is that the very same path that I was walking was also used by some of these very animals. At one point, I heard a sound behind me and turned to see four large cows, complete with massive horns, trotting up behind me on this same path. Now, this part of the path was narrow with fenced banks on both sides, offering no graceful means of escape. So I willed my tired legs to speed up, but truly, the faster I walked, the faster they did too. What else was there to do but to befriend them? I sweet-talked them and even named them. Those four cows, Earl, Ethel, Gaucho, and Othabady, and I walked as friends for quite a little ways on that path. Visions of St. Francis flitted around in my mind, like flower garlands adorning the head of a pilgrim who has learned to be one with nature. Ah, what gloriousness. Now I arrive at the top of the mountain, which feels like a gauntlet that a true pilgrim must come through. I made it. I breathe in, anticipating some sort of aha sight upon arrival. It does indeed come to me, but not in the way I expected as I basically walked up into a parking lot, complete with tour buses. People are indeed enjoying the view. A lot of people who are in quite a different state of mind than me. 
But in true pilgrim grace, I take a deep breath and say with the humbleness of a pilgrim who has actually walked to get there, that of course this is all of ours to share. But I must confess that I found dark satisfaction when a tourist wanted to take a selfie on the lap of a statue of a stoic pilgrimess. While in true antithesis, some pilgrims, distinguishable by our sweaty, disheveled hair and unsavory-smelling clothing, watched from a few feet away, the tourist fluffed her clean, styled hair and adjusted her freshly laundered, color-coordinated sundress, complete with bright blue pumps as accents. My dark pleasure came with the yelp that issued from her as she sat and then, not very modestly, leapt off the statue. Her bare skin had connected with the metal of the statue, which had been steadily heating up in the sun over the course of the day. I smiled wryly and think, and some things are not for us to share. I wandered further into the town and into a small shop. The owners, an older couple, talked to me talked me into buying a bottle of Sidre, hard cider. She demonstrated how to pour it with a flourish while the man gathered all five of his fingers to his lips and kissed them to show how tasty it was. I found a perch above a little piazza and enjoyed the beginning of the sunset over the west side of the mountain while slowly but surely getting tipsy on Spanish cider. I had intended to share the bottle of cider with my friend. It was not small. But as time went by and I did not see her, I finished the bottle. So now I'm a prideful and tipsy pilgrim. The time came to make my entrance into that oldest and most mysterious of churches along the way. As I walked through the threshold into the church, the night immediately and maybe even magically diminished. Maybe all of the mystery and lure of this place was true. I took a quick breath in, feeling the magnitude of my longing for some miraculous experience here, and then coughed because it was quite dusty. Following protocol, I stamped my passport. Check. Next, I explored the walls of Bibles, which are there in every language. These are words, the good news for the whole world, no matter what language or ethnicity or gender or station in life. Boom. Well, boom, that's the cider speaking. And check. Next was an interaction with the biggest Bible I've ever seen. It was on a podium. I opened it to Isaiah 35 because it's my favorite book in the Bible. Yay. Well, yay and check. Then I reverently made my way over to the section of red votive candles. Many were burning brightly, already spoken for. Smoke traveling up toward heaven, representing the prayers of the people. I very carefully and solemnly chose one for me. I took a deep breath and prayed the prayer I had anticipated saying here for so many days that my why of my sword would be revealed so that then I could find my sword. I said each word slowly, solemnly, and reverently. And then I slowly, solemnly, and reverently lit the candle. And then I slowly, solemnly, and reverently sat down in a pew. I closed my eyes closed my hands together, and bowed my head, waiting for the divine answer. Check. I kept my eyes closed for quite a while and listened intently. I listened piously and very patiently. I'm not sure what woke me up, but what I was sure of is that I had drooled and was terrified that I had also snored. 
not exactly the sight of a pilgrim awaiting a message from God. I chastised myself and redoubled my efforts of piety in this, the oldest and most mysterious of churches on the Camino. All remained very quiet and still. I bowed my head solemnly and sat up devoutly like a pilgrim expecting a miracle ought to look. My thoughts floated back to the town of Viana. I recrossed every step and day of walking to where Viana's cathedral and town square sat side by side, where I saw Jesus out in the square captivating some young teenage boys with his story, and then moments later, inside the cathedral, beheld him as the crucifix. He had to be here too, in this oldest and most mysterious church along the way, where a miracle had happened and could again. I slowly raised my eyes to the front of the church where there was a statue of Jesus hanging on the crucifix. I have heard how saints of old gazed at scenes like this, so I gazed too. I gazed for so long that my eyes glaze over, and I awake this time with a start. Third time has to be the charm. I look at Jesus again. I think I'm beginning to see Jesus's love for all of humanity. Let me rephrase. I'm trying really hard to see his love for all humanity, but dadgummit, all I seem to be able to focus on is the dust on top of Jesus's head. I'm trying again, and I'm working hard to ignore the dust because if I can do this right, believe enough, transcend and transform out of myself, then maybe, just maybe, I would receive that divine message from God so that then I would get my sword. That's what I'm sure I'm here for in this oldest and most mysterious of churches along the Camino de Santiago. If it happened once, it could happen again. This is the big check. This is what I want from this pilgrimage. I have, after all, walked for many days and many miles. I have sweat, been hungry, prayed, cared for fellow pilgrims, not to mention all the things back home, been an upstanding citizen, a faithful wife, a present mother, given to the church, etc., etc. I have done these things, checked these boxes. Of course, I'm someone who would receive a special custom sign from God. I sat up a little straighter, gazed a little harder, To anyone observing me, of course, this invisible wave of self-righteousness was imperceptible. To them, I was intently gazing at the crucifix. And I was, sort of. I was still gazing, but it was at the dust on his head again. I have this insane urge to go dust it, to right now go get a ladder, climb up and use my bandana to clean his head off, crown of thorns and all. Now I have a wave of indignation rising in me. How dare there be dust on Jesus's head? How dare they allow Jesus's head to be dusty in this oldest and most mysterious church on the Camino? I'm willfully offended and know that I would never let Jesus's head get dusty. The nerve. I make a mental note to complain to somebody, the priest, of course, about my indignation. Are you serious? I, a pilgrim, have to look at a dusty Jesus? But even as this thought registered, I am stopped in my tracks. I see that I have willfully twisted away from humility, away from the true pilgrim spirit, and instead willfully allowed myself to be possessed by this indignation, indignation birthed from nothing short of self-righteousness. Just like that haughty priest so long ago, annoyed at the humble peasant showing up to mass, perhaps late and most certainly smelly, 
neglecting to see that his piety of walking through the snow and elements, certainly cold, certainly hungry, far exceeded mine. I see now why that miracle happened here. This is exactly where pride can creep in. I look again at Jesus upon the cross. I look again at the dust on his head and have eyes now to see that Jesus might prefer to have a dusty head as it connects him with the peasant. He is not afraid of his humanity and a little dust on his head and by that affirms our humanity. Jesus looks out from beneath that dusty crown and seems to say, you must get to know me, the real man, before you can know me as Christ. See me. See how I am really here with you now. See how I really did walk this earth and just like you got dust on my head. I walk before you and show you the way, my sister, exactly by first being willing to be your brother. Do not be afraid of the dust on my head, nor the dirt on your own. It doesn't diminish the glory that I know is my father's and the glory you will know someday. Follow me. And if you must dust my head, smile, knowing it will collect again and rejoice that it is a sacred sign of me showing you the way. I run from the church into the cool evening, realizing something miraculous had taken place. That story of that night, which happened so long ago, and that the oldest and most mysterious church along the Camino had come to life again. But I had played a different character in it than I expected. I, who thought I could claim rights to a miracle because I conceived of myself like that poor peasant, was instead shown my own heart which was much more like the arrogant priest. Now I'm sitting on the cool lap of the pilgrimess statue, humble and still, and watched as, without a sound, a miracle of a different kind happened. A full and blood-red moon rose and hung there before me and over all the world, catching everything on fire. Mm-hmm.